Welcome to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Devarius Peoples, the Chief Information Officer G6 for the Army Corps of Engineers, Paul Puckett, the Director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army CIO, Bob Costello, Executive Director at the Border Enforcement and Management Systems Directorate for the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Varesh Garg, the Head of Customer Reliability Engineering at Equinix Government Solutions, and Bill Church, the Chief Technology Officer at F5 Government Solutions. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Thanks Before we get started, let me set some context for our panel today. As one agency CIO recently commented to me, the coronavirus pandemic is a black swan event of sorts. It's a once in a lifetime occurrence that forces agencies to rethink with urgency how they'll go about meeting their mission. The surge in remote working, the need to adapt federal services to online platforms is both a success story, but also a cautionary tale. The workforce and mission transition has seen an increase in an attack surface where bad actors, malicious users, and bots are creating unprecedented challenges for agencies to secure and deliver mission critical applications and support services. Agencies must adapt to bring in more components that make up a zero trust architecture to counter these threats. Security experts say through zero trust, agencies can section off their network to better protect data and systems from network island hopping and real and potential vulnerabilities. And if the agency is in the cloud, dividing networks and data can happen more seamlessly based on the governance and standards they put together. Before agencies can just jump into zero trust in the cloud, there are several things to consider, including what data will be stored in the cloud, how the cloud environment can be monitored, and what security access controls make the most sense for the system, data, and users. So with this context in place, let's turn to our panel to find out how they're addressing many of these and other challenges in moving to a zero trust approach in the cloud. Once again, my guests are Tavarius Peoples, the Chief Information Officer G6 for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Paul Puckett, the Director of Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army CIO, Bob Costello, the Executive Director at the Border Enforcement and Management Systems Directorate for the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Varesh Garg, the Head of Customer Reliability Engineering at Equinix Government Solutions, and Bill Church, the Chief Technology Officer at F5 Government Solutions. Tavarius, let me start with you at the Army Corps of Engineers. Your cloud strategy, the multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, discuss how that all fits together. Yeah, so within USACE right now, um, our cloud strategy is really based on uh, ongoing operating assumptions um, as, we, as we plan for more so of a multi-cloud domain solution. Um, and many factors have went into the decision in which it is that we've made. Um, but the primary motivation behind the, the overall strategy is that the cloud market and the services that are available are very competitive um, they're very diverse and there's really no intent to constrain the possibilities uh, of the services in which it is that we're looking to achieve or receive from a specific provider. Um, right now within the Corps of Engineers, uh, we support many diverse missions, whether it's the civil works aspects of things from water management, uh, project management, as well as military construction on the military program side of the house. And with that type of footprint, it's large and it crosses many different domains, um, even across the globe. And those are the various aspects that we support. So being able to have a multi-cloud approach allows us to be able to meet the mission in many different ways. And when we talk about the multi-cloud approach, are we talking about also on-premise and off-premise cloud? Is it, is it a government-only cloud? What's, what, generally speaking, a little bit of everything, I imagine. It is. It's a little bit of everything. Uh, we have a, a, a multi-hybrid. It was a hybrid approach um, on-prem as well as in the cloud, trying to identify which capabilities really need to go and in a cloud smart manner um, to be able to make sure we make wise investments as it pertains to cloud. Also looking at the various data exchanges as it goes from multiple cloud environments as well. So we have a, a very diverse offering when it comes to the delivery of applications into the cloud. Let's move over to Paul Puckett from the Army CIO. Uh, imagine like Tavarius talked about, you guys have a very similar setup uh, and even a more diverse environment in many ways. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, even with Dr. Peoples talking about the Corps of Engineers, it's a great vignette for kind of a, a use case within the Army for the complexity of our architecture. Uh, we've got to look at the way that cloud has been adopted to date across commercial clouds, both uh, public, cap you know, public, public capabilities, as well as bringing some of those commercial capabilities, you know, on-premise in, in a private cloud. But then even, you know, with the Corps of Engineers, they've got a massive distributed architecture globally, which means that the way that we share and exchange data uh, across each one of those platforms is really critical, uh, which means that we need to be able to integrate uh, that data in some type of common data fabric. Um, and we need to have uh, an enterprise ecosystem 
uh, that actually complements the way that we exchange that data, but also doing so uh, securely. But Corps of Engineers is but one use case across all the components of the Army. Uh, and so like, for instance, my office is responsible for that kind of greater cloud strategy for the Army and how we're gonna make sense of all these disparate systems. And the critical component here is the way that we actually adopt cloud. We need to start doing some of the more common things in a common way uh, and really just providing that as a service. So some of the distinct and kind of nuance and fit for purpose capabilities of uh, commercial cloud or even on-premise uh, capabilities uh, is the place where we're investing our time specific to the mission. Um, and so my office is responsible for kind of the, the common services side of the house and that common strategy um, and then it allows the various you know, components like the Corps of Engineers to then be able to invest in that really value add capability that they need for the mission. Um, but for us to do so in, uh, in an integrated way uh, that doesn't create more stovepipes in the cloud, but actually allows us to start to share data uh, securely, but more freely across uh, the army. The old cloud creep, or as some people sometimes the siloed approach to cloud, what we saw early on, you want to make sure you stay away. So I imagine your strategy is focused on standards, governance, kind of that, that 50,000 foot view. So someone like Dvaris Peoples or another part of the army can get into that 20,000, 10,000, 5,000 foot view. Yeah, precisely. And it's the, the security relevant side of the house uh, there is just so important uh, because really when we look how, you know, capabilities are brought to bear typically, um, that means we have to impact all the way into the acquisition side of the house and making sure all the thou shalt statements uh, were correct in the way that that was competed that, you know, we're actually bringing all of the right components to, uh, to field a solution in the cloud securely. What we want to do is uh, essentially simplify the complexities that typically reside there, provide some common standards uh, and governance for how those uh, services need to be provided, and then actually just provide those services as a service to the Army. Uh, so that we don't even have to, from an acquisition standpoint, worry whether we got all the thou shalt's right. It simply becomes uh, an integration of thou shalt uh, be hosted within these um, secure ecosystems that then allows the acquisition itself and the competing uh, side of the house to really focus on what that true value add is uh, for the mission capability. Let's move over to Bob Costello from uh, Customs and Border Protection Directorate. Bob, you guys also have a, a, the type of environment that is wide ranging you go from the desert all the way to the, the, the snowy hills. So you got to be somehow in, deal with all the different environments. Talk a little bit about your cloud strategy. Sure. No, thanks for having me today, Jason. And everyone brought up some really good points. I, I think our strategy is continuously evolving as technology changes. You know, we, we had some initial initiatives uh, a few years ago that have changed. Uh, you know, we're adopting SAS offerings uh, um, faster than we ever had before. So we're, we're doing another rationalization of many of our applications to say, well, many of them shouldn't be moved out of our existing data center into our, our cloud environments, but you know, they, they make sense to replatform them into a SaaS offering. And that's a lot of the work I'm doing over in border enforcement and mission systems, where I do all the application development for Border Patrol and Air Marine, as well as our, our mission systems as well, like uh, financial systems and stuff like that. A lot of those new modernization efforts uh, the existing applications will continue to spin in our on-prem data center, and then we'll migrate to SaaS offerings as those, um, you know, are developed and come online. I, I think our zero trust environment, which happens over in my infrastructure shop, I cover a couple different areas over here in OIT. Um, you, you know, one of the things that, that we have to do is we talk about, uh, you know, how do I, we identify people? So, so we have a, a number of big projects going on right now to kind of um, identify how many different systems we have that, that are associated with a person's identity. And unfortunately, it's a lot, even at a mid-sized agency like CBP, which has about you know, 70,000 users that we deal with, although hundreds of thousands of users of our applications. So, so that's been a big challenge, and that's part of our cloud strategy. Uh, I think on Zero Trust, uh, one of the things that, that we're working really hard on uh, within uh, CBP is how do we break down the, those silos of, of data? And, and that's one of the big problems. If, if you have silos on-prem and you don't address them before you move, you, you just replicate the problem in the cloud. Uh, so that's a big challenge that, that, that we're working through right now is trying to make sure that as we migrate to, to the cloud or, or other vendors' uh, solutions, that, that it makes sense. Um, because, you know, like Paul and, and, and Dr. People, we, we have these um, systems that people's lives depend on. So, so I can't have a lot of downtime. Uh, and if it's running very well on-prem, or very running very well on a colo, uh, you have to ask yourself, does it make sense to migrate it if I can't assure the same level of reliability 
uh, in performance in the cloud. So we're, we're taking a really hard look at a lot of our systems right now to make sure we weren't moving too fast before um, to just say, well, we have to get out of our data center to are we doing the right thing for the operators? Because uh, that's really the most important thing. Jason, Bob brings up some great points when it comes to uh, being smart about what the actual mission set is, what the data set is, and whether it even makes sense to, to relocate those capabilities to another hosting environment. Um, and, and this is actually part of our transition and our learning even within the Army. A lot of our adoption of cloud capabilities to date has been driven by uh, data center consolidation and closures, which means a, a lot of the effort that's been taken is really just kind of a re-hosting uh, lift and shift. And we're finding that uh, for some of those mission systems, right, the, the availability of the system uh, actually seems to, to not be uh, better in the cloud because we didn't put the actual thought to design those systems or redesign those systems in a way that leverages cloud computing uh, and that elastic nature and scalability. Uh, but we see it's also tied to not just an availability of the service, but an availability of the data. Uh, and what we're finding is the systems that have been built in our data centers uh, within the fixed architecture and requirements uh, that they were designed to uh, weren't designed for this ad hoc world that we find ourselves in where uh, perhaps some data set is actually needed in real time to support a mission thread that we have, uh, but the system doesn't have the compute to be able to handle that kind of extra load. And we're seeing those are the kind of key opportunities for us to really get after what data sets matter, understanding the systems that are brokering those data sets, uh, and then can we actually increase the availability of the data um, so it's not so much the availability of the system itself, but just the data sets and the ad hoc nature for how we call on it. And it's part of our cloud smart transition uh, from typically the, the cloud first model that we see. Um, and then it allows us to be more thoughtful as to the right framework, right? The SaaS model, uh, whether it's replatforming, um, you know, just all the different, you know, ways that you can essentially leverage cloud thoughtfully uh, for us is being driven more by the data sets behind it. Uh, and our, you know, accommodation to this very dynamic and ever-changing world around us is what data sets we really need to unlock their, their future potential. Let me bring in our, our, our friends from the, the industry. Varesh, react a little bit to what you're hearing from Paul, from Bob, from, from Devarius around their cloud strategy. Are you seeing very similar things from your customers and, and others who are using Equinix Government Solutions? Thank you for that question. Yes, we are. And, you know, I want to highlight, you know, Equinix is its own cloud strategies, right? From our perspective, our cloud strategy is also multi-cloud and hybrid. Um, you know, we have decided to leverage multiple cloud providers based on their capabilities. Um, there are some parts of the technologies, and I want to highlight three examples. We have a centralized logging framework that is used by a lot of applications that are on-prem and in cloud. We have IoT sensors that collect a lot of data from our data centers. We also have um, you know, networking software that, you know, deals with all the switches and routers that are deployed in our data centers, right? So some of those things have to be on-prem and close to our data centers, but then, you know, rest of our products and portals are in cloud. Um, you know, also in our cloud strategy, you know, we are going to cloud to take advantage of the elasticity, efficiency, and agility that cloud provides, especially in the area of multi-region, multi-AZ, and the availability that all of those features give you. But at the same time, our strategy is to be cloud native, but not have vendor lock-in. And what that means is that the way we write the code and data is to make sure that we can move our code, microservices code and data between different clouds whenever we want. Um, the other thing that is unique to our strategy is that we recently acquired a company called Packet. And for our non-production environments, we wanted to get the agility, elasticity, flexibility, and all the other advantages of cloud without the cost of cloud. So part of our hybrid strategy also is to move our lower environments and our non-production environments on package. So Varesh, let me bring you back around for a second though. Um, you set us up kind of how, how Equinix kind of looks at this approach to cloud and how you guys are using cloud. But what about your customers? As you're talking to your customers, do, do what you're hearing from Paul and, and Bob and, and Devarius really match up? Or do you see a lot of people re-looking at the applications versus just you know, cloud, cloud, cloud? Yeah, I mean, I think most of our customers are adopting a cloud-first strategy. And I think one of the unique things that we are seeing now is that, you know, most customers do not want to lock into one cloud vendor solution for multiple reasons. Um, and I think, you know, one of the trends that we are seeing is that a lot of customers that are adopting multi-cloud, you know, for things that have to go across clouds, you know, whether it is their networking infrastructure like load balancers and routers and switches and firewalls, or whether it is their data, that needs to be accessed in multiple clouds, right? 
we are trying to find the edge locations where they can put you know those networking devices and data and other kind of things in that their multi cloud architecture um and i think you know um, um you know one of the trend that we are seeing is for customers to continue to use cloud for their workload and then rely on equinix you know colo or equinix bare metal or other equinix edge services to make sure that the common services can then be hosted in um, equinix right so the edge computing is becoming a huge part of customers multi cloud infrastructure um and that's where i think equinix is physical and virtual services are playing a big role in customers multi cloud strategy i'm sure we'll talk more about edge let me just bring in bill church from f5 real quick bill one of the things uh about uh what you heard today is it was there's that mention of zero trust which we'll get back to probably in, in the next segment but give me a reaction from f5's perspective what do you when you hear uh everyone talk about cloud what are you seeing how does it fit into what you guys are seeing broadly well, I'll say there's a couple things that gave me a little bit of comfort of, of being a citizen for one. Um, you know, I like the idea of the cloud smart approach versus the uh, cloud first. So, you know, taking a look at the data and look at the resources and seeing, does it make sense for this to go to the cloud? Um, you know, there's a lot of specialized uh, applications and you know, hardware that does exist uh, on-prem that may not necessarily be replicable in the, in the cloud today. Um, you know, I, one thing that comes to mind is there's only one IRS with one, only one tax code, right? Um, so you know, those mainframe, uh, mainframe source code has been produced for quite a long time. Uh, probably isn't the first thing you'd throw up into, uh, you know, a cloud uh, data center. So uh, you know, hearing that, uh, you know, is is is, is good to, to know. Um, the other thing I heard too was identity. Uh, you know, and that's uh, definitely a very important part of this move to cloud. When you start getting into uh, systems and applications that you don't, you know, technically own. Uh, you know, you don't own that infrastructure anymore. Uh, identity becomes very important and knowing who is in there and whether or not they should be in there uh, is, you know, something that I think we have to pay a lot of attention to. Um, when we think zero trust, you know, it is kind of the wild west in a sense that um, we're not, or we shouldn't be allowed to just, you know, have blanket policies that open up traffic to, you know, our applications and systems. Those, those connections need to be known and they need to be validated to make sure that they're not, um, you know, just some random person coming in trying to extract data for malicious purposes. All right, there's a lot to follow up there. Let's take a quick break and come back. We can jump into that discussion about zero trust. I know it came up a couple of times during the, the discussion so far, but let's take a quick break. You're listening to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions and F5 Government Solutions on Federal News Network. Equinix is the leading strategic data center platform for government solutions, hosting the largest network of facilities, clouds, and service providers. Equinix is a partner in the mission, helping users distribute applications, access data, and see analytics in real time. No lag, no drop-off in experience, all thanks to the interconnected network cloud solution from Equinix. Grow, save, and improve efficiency with Equinix. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions and F5 Government Solutions on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Devarius Peoples, the Chief Information Officer G6 for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Paul Puckett, the Director of the Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army CIO, Bob Costello, the Executive Director at the Border Enforcement and Management Systems Directorate for the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate, Varesh Garg, the head of customer reliability engineering at Equinix Government Solutions, and Bill Church, the chief technology officer at F5 Government Solutions. Before break, we're talking about the way the, the cloud strategies that each of you are, are looking at and, and the customers and for Equinix and F5 are starting to consider and move toward. I wanna to bring Bill back into the discussion here because a couple times this idea of zero trust came up. And as I said, maybe to lead us off in the beginning of, of, the, of the discussion here, as agencies move to more remote working, as they had to move more services online, it really had became a much more bigger of a cybersecurity challenge than ever before because the attack surface really grew leaps and bounds. Walk me through a little bit about the zero trust approach. And, and I think we know what it is by now, but if you want to give us a short definition, it's always helpful. And then move us to kind of and then talk a little bit more about how this is becoming more a higher priority, I'll say, across a lot of agencies. Yeah, sure. So I think zero trust is one of those terms. It's kind of like cloud was when it first came out, right? It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, you know, for us, and I think for most people now, uh, we look at zero trust as being the idea that you have applications and, uh, and users, and those applications also have resources that they access. Uh, you know, in the traditional model, you would have, uh, you know, essentially a firewall between that application and the user. 
and everything inside that firewall was pretty much, uh, you know, the Wild West. Everybody could have access to everything. Uh, once an you know, attacker penetrated that firewall, uh, for the most part, they probably had access to everything they needed. Uh, the idea of zero trust is to take that and say, well, you know, instead of uh, a you know, giant firewall border, uh, really everything uh, essentially is firewalled at that point, right? So everything has to be defined uh, for what type of access it needs. So if you have an application, that application's uh, data that it needs, uh, it needs to have access to, you know, provisioned access to that as well. So, uh, so it's definitely a, a different look at how to secure um, you know, your, your app and your resources. Um, what we saw uh, in the pandemic was pretty interesting. So, you know, F5's got a pretty broad portfolio. Uh, we consider VPN to be a legacy technology. While we still do uh, have that in our portfolio, uh, we, we saw, you know, less and less of an uptake of that, you know, in uh, pre-2000, or 2020, I guess it is. Um, as the pandemic hit, um, you know, everybody's in their different stages of their journey to uh, zero trust we saw a huge influx of people uh, procuring VPN licenses to, you know, control the bleeding. So it's a bit of a triage where they had to say, okay, look, this is the new normal. We have, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers that used to come into an office and they're not anymore. And that's, that has to happen now, you know, so you don't implement a zero trust strategy, uh, you know, at, at the, you know, that, that type of turn. So, um, you know, the, the idea was that, hey, we need to control this bleeding. So we saw that. And then, uh, we started seeing deeper discussions from customers like, okay, hey, we're, we've got ourselves a little bit of a buffer here. Uh, we, can, we can breathe. So how do we now transition that to something that, that probably makes a little more sense for long term? Um, you know, we're what, uh, almost nine months into this. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be like this for a while. Let me ask Bob from CBP to jump in here. You mentioned a couple of the Zero Trust projects that are ongoing within your shop. Maybe walk me through a couple of those and how did they get a kind of a buffer or a bumper or some sort of higher priority with the pandemic? Sure. A couple of them did. Uh, certainly our, our remote access uh, solutions got a bump. We, we didn't go with a traditional VPN as we migrated off a, another provider's solution. Uh, we, we did some incremental steps and were able to roll out a, an, an expanded remote access service for about 17. It can, it can support a lot more, but we, we have up to 17,000 people uh, a, a day on our busiest days utilizing it. Um, and, and that was a great partnership with one of our vendors as well as our engineering teams uh, to, to kind of roll out something pretty quick. It, it's definitely not the Nirvana Zero Trust, but it's better than we were before dur during the pandemic. And it's giving our users a lot more of a seamless experience. You know, rather than jumping through a bunch of hoops to connect, you know, they, they open their, their their workstation and they're connected once they, they you know, authenticate who they are, uh, which, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, one of our other challenges as a law enforcement agency, most of our users um, or, you know, our, our customers and our partners, uh, they're operators. They can't telework. They, you know, they can't work from home. Border Patrol can't work from home. Office of, um, you, you know, the, the field operations, they, they can't work from home. So, so we have to make sure as we roll out these solutions that it works for the operators. And one of the big spaces that we're trying to, to put a lot more thought around and uh, kind of that zero trust governance as we start out is, is on mobility. You know, we're ro rolling out a lot of mobile solutions, uh, a lot of really impressive solutions on blue force tracking and, and things like that. And you can't make someone go through four hoops on their phone to, to, to log into the app. So, so we have to be, make sure that we can authenticate that that operator is who they say they are uh, and has the access to the data in real time that they need. And so that's been one of our big challenges. So it brings it back to identity uh, and, and then entitlement. How do we entitle a user in real time uh, for the information that they, they need? And then maybe take that entitlement away uh, when the user doesn't need it anymore. So there, those are some really big challenges. The other area we're spending a lot of time on is um, like many places, a lot of our administrators perhaps have too much access uh, and, and we need to work through that. And that is a big part of zero trust too. If, if I'm doing it for my entire um, customer base, but, but not, not addressing that the administrators have pretty much the keys to the entire kingdom, uh, that's a problem. And that's something that we're working through right now. So that administrators get elevated access when they need it. Uh, and also that they don't necessarily have access to the data anymore. That, that's, a, that's a big challenge and a, and a big shift in our thinking as we, we migrate to either SaaS solutions, hybrid cloud, or, or our own hosted cloud solutions. Um, one of the things you brought up was this idea 
of, you won't say authenticate. If you're able to talk to us, I don't want to get into too many sensitivities, but it's got to be more than just logging on with your PIV card because that's the old way and that's a VPN potential way. Uh, imagine there's some other type of login, maybe it's, it's multi-factor authentication, but it's also where do you, what's the employee allowed to see? And, and it's the roles and responsibilities sure. discussion. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. I, I mean, sometimes it's still very much PIV card. I, I mean, that's where, you, you know, the, the, you know, our version of the cap card, you know, that, that DOD users. Um, we've made some great strides in recent year, years on getting our applications off username and password. But, but we still struggle um, that, you know, a lot of our systems are still disparate. We have a lot of different systems that are used by different user groups. That it, it's taken some time. And I think someone brought up a, a really good point earlier on what makes sense to migrate out of your on-prem solutions. And, and we were a mainframe shop for 30 years. So, it, you know, we got off the mainframe. We still are running some, some, some COBOL. Uh, you, you know, for a particular application that was written in the 1970s, that's been a little bit more difficult to get off. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that we're actually the, the second largest revenue collector behind the IRS here, here at Customs and Border Protection. So we have a, a system that was written uh, to collect tariffs and customs violations that is very different than our new modern applications that are being built, uh, you know, under Agile and with integrated teams for everything from identity, entitlement, application development and infrastructure. Those applications are making a lot more strides in zero trust. And some of these other legacy applications are relying on um, their, their legacy methods as, as we kind of work through multi-year efforts to, to, to modernize them. Jason, if I could just kind of add some color and tie in a few things that we're hearing so far, because uh, I mean, Bob's giving some great deal of uh, detail about his zero trust pilots, but uh, he's, he's not talking about the hard work that his team is doing that is at the foundational element. When we talk about least privilege, it means that you need to understand the attributes of the people and the attributes of the systems and the services and the attributes of the data so that you then can decide uh, who should have access to what and when. Um, and that foundational detail, all of that metadata that has to be captured, typically in the systems that we have designed, we're never designed to capture that telemetry data to allow us to make those decisions. Um, and so like, let's not gloss over just how challenging of work that his team is doing. And this is also precisely what Dr. Peoples and the rest of the army is leaning into as well, which is we have to understand our data sets in a way that then allows us to apply uh, least privileged access. Um, and then even how we actually uh, credential users uh, for that access is that critical component. You made the comment about you know, PIV-CAC, um, at the end of the day, there's a proofing of identity before I issue a PIV or a CAC to someone that's absolutely crucial. When we talk about these distributed architectures and issuing credentials in real time to just services themselves, right, non-person entities, um, where's the proofing that happens that we know that that should actually be given that credential? What are the attributes that we know? What's the identity assurance level that, that comes in there? Um, and this is even then now accentuated with, you know, what we saw with the COVID pandemic, uh, to your point of zero trust and kind of this, perhaps an aha moment that we've seen across the DOD is now we have a distributed architecture. Uh, now we have no assurance as to whether it's a managed device or not. Uh, we still need to enable uh, web access to mission critical capabilities. Uh, and we may not necessarily have the internal infrastructure to scale VPNs for everyone. How do we address it? Um, and then even further, if I'm going to expose those services uh, for external access outside the boundary, um, is there any risk of lateral movement in the system if someone were to get into it, right? These systems were designed for a perimeter security architecture. So if we just lift and shift these systems and we don't redesign them uh, to live in a zero trust architecture, uh, some of the foundational elements on the back end um, have not been addressed. And so this is hard, challenging work that we need to do. So when we talk about moving, you know, adopting zero trust principles, uh, understanding these services, the attributes, the data, um, and how we're able to tag this appropriately to now manage it in real time in a secure way, that's some really challenging work. So I really want to commend the, the CBP. There's some mission critical data that we can't get wrong there uh, for that mission. Uh, the same thing with, with the Corps of Engineers and what uh, Dr. Peoples' team is doing. Uh, these are systems that, um, uh, we've got to get it right and we've got to learn quickly to get it right. So if there's any good that's come out of COVID, it's that aha moment to get after the really foundational pieces 
uh, of enabling a zero trust architecture. Yeah, and, and Jason, I'll, I'll also add on to, to some of the things that Mr. Puggins has referenced. Um, I think from a core standpoint, we found out kind of early, we had to take a step back and really define what that common definition of, of zero trust really was. Because even though it's a philosophy and a concept, we're trying to operationalize it. So that means being able to gain a better understanding of the implications of advancing the current cyber landscape, as well as being able to determine the, the, the direct distribution of those capabilities from an organizational perspective. And that comes with, with two different things here, uh, because we've been working tightly with NETCOM, um, another Army entity, with regards to how to properly deploy a zero trust architecture, um, looking at it from a cloud architecture aspect as well. And, and we also have deployed it, or we're attempting to deploy it on our civil works aspect of the mission. But with zero trust architecture comes a financial component um, that I think we so quickly forget due to the fact that we have many different capabilities inside of our enterprise. But there's a significant financial uptick that in order to be successful, organizations will definitely have to invest in the zero trust aspect of it. And one of the things that COVID-19 has done, especially for the core, it has allowed us and shown us that as you plan for 21 through 25, you have to reassess a lot of our financial responsibilities and obligations to really get after a secure environment, leveraging some of the zero trust aspects as well as cloud. And that, that really requires some funding. So we had to really assess how we did that and, and bolster our 21 budget to really support moving forward in a remote type of workforce and environment. Kind of amazing how, as I go back to what Paul said, the aha moment popped in and you're going, oh, that, that trickle down effect. You know, it's not just, we got to fix it today, but as, as Devarius, you were saying, the, the, the budget, the out year budget, not just 21, but 22 and 23 and 24, 25. Let me bring in Avresh from uh, uh, Equinix as well. The cloud's got to play a big role in this. I'm glad uh, Devarius brought this up because it's, it's not just deploying a zero trust on-prem, the, the, there's a cloud piece to this where you have to apply the zero trust. Uh, Varesh, help me understand how the cloud fits into the discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, you know, a lot of my um, esteemed partners have covered, you know, their notion of zero trust really well. You know, I want to highlight a few things that we are doing at Equinix for zero trust, right? So I think one of the things that Jason, even you talked about is that there is nothing called trust boundary anymore, right? You know, things that are behind three firewalls, you know, a lot of customers used to think, oh, that's my trust boundary, right? You know, um, I don't think an attack can happen in that area, right? So I think, you know, first part of our strategy is that, you know, zero trust is that we do encryption everywhere and we do TLS everywhere. So one of the things that we have done recently is to adopt you know, an industry's leading service mesh so that east-west traffic between our APIs, you know, behind the all kind of firewalls is also TLS enabled. The second thing that we have done, and a lot of people talked about, you know, user access and what do users have access to, et cetera, right? When it comes to cloud, for the identity and access management, we have adopted a strategy which is called, you know, headless strategy. And what I mean by that is that we never allow any human being other than break the glass scenario to log on to the identity management consoles and make changes in the cloud. Everything is done through Terraform and then it is kicked off you know, through pipeline. And even the service accounts that are used by the pipelines to make changes in the cloud, the API keys and the passwords of those service accounts are also not known to human beings. They're all stored into you know, various kind of password vaults. Um, the other thing you know, as part of our zero trust is that, um, you know, things, you know, networking is very, very critical to zero trust. So, you know, you got your VPCs, you got your subnets, you got your security groups, the way you configure them by default, you know, our policies deny all. We make all of the changes into networking through Terraform. No one can go and make manual changes. On top of it, we have all kind of preventive and detective controls so that when these changes are made, then, you know, automatically security group is notified, you know, who's supposed to then make sure that they qualify every change to be the right change, right? So, you know, basically I think, you know, I'm just kind of endorsing some of the things that, you know, my partners talked about, but, uh, you know, zero trust is all about, the, you know, having no trust boundary, uh, trusting no tier, and making sure that you're applying all kinds of security and multiple line of defense every way or every step of the way in cloud. All right, on that note, let's take a quick break. We can continue our conversation in the next segment. You're listening to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions and F5 Government Solutions on Federal News Network. 
Equinix is the leading strategic data center platform for government solutions, hosting the largest network of facilities, clouds, and service providers. Equinix is a partner in the mission, helping users distribute applications, access data, and see analytics in real time. No lag, no drop-off in experience, all thanks to the interconnected network cloud solution from Equinix. Grow, save, and improve efficiency with Equinix. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions and F5 Government Solutions on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Devarius Peoples, the Chief Information Officer G6 at the Army Corps of Engineers, Paul Puckett, the Director of Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army CIO, Bob Costello, the Executive Director at the Border Enforcement and Management Systems Directorate in the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate, Varesh Garg, the Head of Customer Reliability Engineering at Equinix Government Solutions, and Bill Church, the Chief Technology Officer at F5 Government Solutions. We were talking before break about zero trust and how that fits in with the cloud, and Varesh brought up this idea of no trust boundaries, applying uh, kind of multiple approaches, if you will, multiple uh, understanding of where the, the trust is and where it lies. And, and I want to bring in Paul here for a second from the Army. One of the things that I think is very important is, is how you adopt zero trust in this cloud environment, how you manage the, if you will, different layers, not just of security, but of data and applications. Walk me through a little bit about how the Army is thinking about this. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So, I mean, Varesh made some great points, uh, really, when it came to the, the privileged access uh, that people typically have in managing infrastructure and infrastructure changes today. Uh, and what we've seen, even in the commercial side, is places where you have humans in the loop that have immediate access to change infrastructure, or perhaps they haven't when they should have, uh, is essentially open up these vulnerabilities for attacks and threats. And so our way to leverage to Varesh's point automation uh, and remove humans and, and manual error as much out of the loop as possible uh, don't enable humans with access to secrets uh, when it comes to ensuring that uh, any configuration changes are being done uh, in a way that are being authenticated where we don't have access to the, the secrets that they're passing is really critical. Uh, we've adopted this methodology in the Army. When we talk about delivering enterprise cloud services, uh, it's really the Army enterprise and, and their components for how we extend uh, Army capabilities uh, in a secure way into the cloud. And so all infrastructure changes and configuration changes that are made uh, within that environment, we call it C-Army, uh, is all automated through a pipeline. Uh, and there's no human in the loop with uh, the single authority to make changes uh, without this pipeline validating those changes before it goes into production. Um, and these are some of those kind of those foundational investments. Uh, you, Dr. Peoples was making the point that there's the financial investment. There's really a time and a skill set investment here as well. Uh, to make sure that we're building on kind of these new principles for how we're going to be designing and fielding systems in the cloud. Uh, there could be this sense of urgency and uh, perhaps the, the old metric of are you hosted in the cloud as the big win uh, is no, no, no. Are you leveraging the cloud effectively for your mission and doing so thoughtfully uh, in context of security uh, for that mission? Um, and this means some foundational changes for how we adopt capabilities. And learning more about automation and leveraging uh, automated pipelines, um, creating these policy enforcement points, essentially centralizing on authoritative uh, credentialing and access service uh, so we can have this, this common uh, way of understanding who or what should be connected to each other uh, in real time. And of course, leveraging like encryption at rest in transit or even at use as, in use as well uh, for how we secure that data uh, as it's being used for the mission. So all of these are foundational investments that you have to make uh, if you're going to actually adopt uh, some zero trust principle and it takes time, it takes some thought. Um, and in order to make those investments uh, provide value, it also means that you need to know where in your mission needs to leverage these capabilities the most. And I think that was kind of evident with COVID is it highlighted for us just how important it was to communicate and collaborate. That's where we made those first investments uh, in uh, enabling zero trust and in connecting with one another. So uh, it just helps drive where and how you adopt in a thoughtful manner. You bring up a very interesting point about this planning and just, and, and I wanna bring everyone else into it, but real quick, just Paul on your end, does moving to the cloud make that thoughtfulness different? You have to think about it in a different way. When everything was on-prem, was in your own data center, you could think about it very, if you will, insular. Okay, this is what we have, this is how it works. But now that you're in, a commercial cloud, you're in a private government only cloud, you're in a DOD cloud, mill cloud, let's say, does that change how you approach 
this this idea of security of this and that, and that's why automation's got to play a bigger role. So it definitely does. It's definitely a variable. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, when we talk about our mission, we're going to have, and we even have today, a distributed architecture globally. It spans uh, commercial capabilities, private capabilities. Um, and there are different variables that tweak a little bit in the calculus when you talk about uh, a data center that you manage where you can actually go and physically touch uh, the things that are storing your data. But in my opinion, it doesn't change the principles for how you should actually design your systems in a way uh, where you can share and exchange data in real time securely. Uh, whatever you do in the commercial cloud that you think is adopting zero trust principles should also extend to your on-premise architecture. Um, these, are, these are foundational. These aren't essentially variable only for where you're hosting. It's not a, if you're in commercial cloud, then I guess we'll do zero trust principles. Uh, we've seen even today, hosting it on-prem doesn't necessarily make you more uh, secure. We've seen that all of, there's enough use cases where we've seen that's not the case. Um, so it means you have to adopt these principles everywhere. Um, and it's even to Varesh's point, being thoughtful as to where uh, you want uh, portability and you want to uh, avoid lock-in, right? Those are their pros and cons when it comes to skill set lock-in, infrastructure lock-in, data lock-in, right? There, there's a whole bunch of lock-ins that can happen, uh, but we want to make sure that we're still locking into achieving our mission, right? And so you have to make these, these balances and these trades, but it doesn't mean that the foundational principles you can just throw out the door simply because you own your own data center. Uh, this is an upscaling uh, opportunity for everyone. Let me ask Bob to jump in here for a second from CBP's perspective, because I think the discussion here about architecting and being thoughtful, I think, how are you guys addressing that currently as CBP starts to modernize, as you guys make decisions mm -hmm. about what goes in the cloud, what goes into, doesn't go in the cloud? Walk me through a little bit about, th about your thoughtful process. Yeah, there's actually a, a few different areas. And, and, you know, we are a large IT shop. It's, it's about 5,000 people. So it's, uh, it, it's a lot. So, so it's, it's not just supporting, you know, the operators, but it's supporting our own people. So one of the big portions of that is how do we make sure that people are comfortable with, with, with change? Uh, and and I'm a big believer that most people who say they're comfortable with change actually aren't. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of training going on. There's a lot of, uh, you know, assuring our, our federal workforce that, you know, we're, we're in this with you, that, you know, we're going to provide the training necessary as we, we change out from, uh, you know, running a very large on-prem data center to, to going to the cloud and, and other solutions. Uh, because in a lot of cases, uh, we can't do it anymore. Uh, you know, we ran a great data center for, for 30 years. I can't keep up anymore. Uh, you know, and, and I shouldn't. I shouldn't be investing a lot of money in generators and, and on-prem solutions um, because we can't scale uh, to, to what we need. Uh, you, you know, we're seeing that a great deal now. When, when I have an encounter, whether it's a Border Patrol agent out in the field um, or a customs officer, you, you know, as you come back into the United States or an agricultural specialist, uh, you, you know, working on something that just came off a container ship, we're able to provide them so much more information now than we ever could before. And I, I just can't keep scaling on-prem solutions for that. So there's the very realization as well. Sometimes we have to move to the cloud, even if um, you know, all the zero trust stuff isn't ready yet, because we just can't scale you know, horizontally enough in our data center to accommodate this level of data. Um, so we're doing a lot of different things. A lot of it's um, educating people, uh, you, you know, working very closely with our CISO on how we modernize our ATO process and how we do penetration testing, how we do audits of our, uh, of our data. Uh, and, and the real key here is, is that we are relentlessly focused on making sure that the operators aren't affected by changes that we're making in the IT space. Because there's nothing worse telling people, I'm modernizing your system and I'm so sorry that it's worse than it was before. Um, you know, that, that doesn't go over very well. Uh, especially when the, these are people, you know, these are men and women that, that go out every day uh, trying to protect us, you know, just like the Army's mission or the Air Force mission, you know, it's very similar. So, so we're very cognizant that, that we have to make these, these changes fast, but also measured and, and also keeping in alignment the mission of, of the agency. And we get great support from our commissioner on down for the changes that need to happen in the IT space. But, but we have to be very, very focused on, on ensuring that these changes don't have big negative consequences as we improve our cybersecurity posture. Because I 100% agree. I don't think on-prem data centers uh, any longer, except in some very specific use cases, 
um, provide a, a higher cyber security standard or, or protections, then we can get in a properly implemented uh, SaaS solution or, or, or cloud-hosted solution. I want to move us over to uh, the, the maybe a bigger discussion around why we're talking about zero trust, not just because it's important, not just because of, of the challenges, but, and, and Bill from F5, jump in here because I think one of the things that agencies are seeing the realization is the attacks, the cyber attacks are not just, if you will, kitty scripts or people in the basement, but the nation states and, and the like are really hammering on vendors and, and agencies alike. And zero trust is, is that next level is, is has things gotten worse because of the pandemic or due to the pandemic of the tech service getting bigger? Bill, what are you guys seeing? Yeah. So I think, you know, pandemic in particular has shown us that, you know, fraud and risk is, is really, uh, they go hand in hand, right? So fraud has been up uh, dramatically during this pandemic, unfortunately. Uh, you know, if we look at uh, government agencies, which have experienced it, you know, IRS is always a good one where uh, we have these checks going out and people are, you know, uh, either at the state or federal level, people are defrauding uh, citizens by, you know, uh, collecting unemployment that isn't due to them uh, by using somebody else's name, uh, you know, getting you know, checks and things of that nature. Uh, but I think, you know, understanding fraud and risk is pretty core to understanding trust and zero trust, right? We have to understand um, not only, you know, we don't have to just identify these people because that's that's pretty good and we're, we're getting pretty good at that. The, the CAC and PIF are very good at um, you know, establishing that part, but then it's, you know, the behaviors of those people once they authenticate, you know, what are they doing? Is this something that we've seen, you know, normally when Bill logs in, he doesn't normally log in, uh, you know, at, at three in the morning and, uh, you know, downloads an entire, you know, data set, <laughs> you know, that's not his normal, his normal pattern, right? So you start looking at stuff like that uh, at a broader scope versus just, you know, looking at ports and protocols and, you know, uh, kind of, I'd say the, the 90s mentality of, of how we you know used to protect our systems um you know i think when we look at uh, applications that are typically exposed to the internet and we go back to those traditional methods you know all we were really doing was just punching a hole in a firewall right and letting you know port 80 traffic so letting a and a client directly touch a server and you know every time we, we did that um, no matter how well the application was written, um, you know, it's all written by humans, right? We're, we're only human. Um, there, there, there exists, you know, vulnerabilities in the applications and, you know, we can't, you know, accept um, having those systems talk directly to those applications without something uh, having the ability to mitigate and understand and, you know, uh, essentially do you know, analysis on that traffic and that activity and make sure, you know, it's, it's something that that user should be doing. So I think, um, you know, everything old is new again. This is this is nothing new. People have been defrauding uh, information systems for as long as they've been around. Uh, it'll continue to be that way. Uh, I think we're doing a much better job at, you know, building them right from the ground up. Um, but, you know, there's still, we still got a lot of work to do, for sure. Yeah, I see where, hey, where, hey, go ahead, jump hey, in. Jason, from, and so from a, from a, I give you the operational perspective from, from a USA side of the house. Um, I think one of the things that Zero Trust has allowed us to begin to look at even more uh, tightly than what we have. We're operating in a construct now where we have less control over our infrastructure. Um, and quite frankly, as technology continues to evolve, the, the legacy methodology as to how we provide services, they're changing because now we're looking at as a service, we're looking at whether it's software as a service, platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, that means we have less control and less hands-on. So this is the, the new way of, of performing cybersecurity. Um, and that means bringing in the, the zero trust methodologies and the zero trust concepts. And at the height of COVID-19, to put things in perspective at the core, as you know, we were assisting with the alternate care facilities and, and those type of things on the front line. Um, our security controllers has allowed us, it's pre, it served us pretty well, actually. Um, but one of the things I will say is in the process of serving us well, it has also forced us to modify how we actually, a lot of our TTPs, to really be able to identify different type of threat vectors to move forward and aggressively move on our commitment to this continuous monitoring aspect of things as well too. Um, because being able to perform continuous monitoring versus some of the, the manual RMF processes, we've been able to really continue to assess the threat and be able to move forward. And zero trust methodologies and principles have allowed us to begin to look at things even at a different level than what we previously did. So those are some of the operational things we've gained uh, from the Corps of Engineers looking at this whole cybersecurity and zero trust methodology as well. I think that's an important point that it, you, 
that while everyone was in a rush to prepare for this remote working, the surge and then delivering services differently, it also gave this opportunity to be like, okay, what do we really need to do from a security or an operational standpoint? And, and actually it's a great segue of rush. You get the last word of the day here. We're just about out of time, but give me a sense. What are the, what's the one or what's the one thing agencies, organizations should keep in mind as they start to move to a multi-cloud approach and start to, uh, to add in the zero trust uh, framework architecture piece? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, when I look at, you know, what Equinix is doing and, you know, how that can be applied, you know, across, you know, different customers, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think, you know, I see there are three areas in security where, you know, there will continue to be additional investment, um, you know, as we focus on multi-cloud and zero trust. Number one, I think there has been a lot of focus on applying preventive and detective controls in cloud, um, you know, and, you know, we are applying tools for operating system level security, container level security, services level security, application level security, data level security, and you know, light bulbs are going on in all of these tools in terms of their finding security alerts and events and you know vulnerabilities. So I think you know one of the key focus you know that you know we are adopting ourselves, and I recommend everyone is to you know hey we have done a lot of investment in the last few years in implementing security tools, you know, and now it is time to you know, do the automation, automation, automation of the remediation of the vulnerabilities and the events that you will discover in those tools, right? So that's one area, you know, where I, you know, recommend that, you know, we, we sort of, you know, put together a roadmap and we start working on, you know, aggressively. The second right, and, and, I mean, I, let me jump in, Varesh. Unfortunately, though, we're, we're just about out of time. So I, wanna, I just want to say goodbye to everyone. Thank them for their time. Uh, you've been listening to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions and F5 Government Solutions on Federal News Network. So let me thank my guest, Devaris Peoples, the Chief Information Officer, G6 for the Army Corps of Engineers, Paul Puckett, the Director of Enterprise Cloud Management Office for the Army CIO, Bob Costello, the Executive Director at the Border Enforcement and Management Systems Directorate for the Office of Information and Technology at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Directorate, Varesh Garg, the Head of Customer Reliability Engineering at Equinix Government Solutions, and Bill Church, the Chief Technology Officer at F5 Government Solutions. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I'm Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Equinix. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Zero Trust in a Hybrid Cloud Environment, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network.